0: i uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski and this week we're discussing Batman from Beware the Gray Ghost and Zatanna from Batman the Animated Series. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest Kirsta Christensen. Welcome Kirsta. Hello. And also producer Andrew, you'll be jumping in on this one, correct? Yes, I will. I am somewhat familiar with your tastes and I believe you are a fan of Batman the
0: Animated Series.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, you are exactly the right demographic and uh, interests to have liked Batman the Animated Series. Truthfully, if you told me you didn't, I would know you had been kidnapped and were signaling for help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so I mean, everyone should like Batman the Animated Series. It's an amazing piece of television. That's fair. Yeah. Um, we are going to be discussing Beware the Grey Ghost, which was directed by Boyd Kirkland, based on a story by Dennis O'Flaherty. That's a name that I always struggle to pronounce. I've come across it before in this podcast, I believe. <laughs> and also Tom Rugger. And it was it had a teleplay by Garen Wolf and Tom Rugger, and it originally aired on November 4th, 1992. It tells the story of a wave of crime that is inspired by an old TV show, The Grey the gray ghost a tv show that bruce wayne remembers watching when he was a kid this episode features kevin conroy as bruce wayne slash batman ephraim zimbalist jr as alfred and adam west as the gray ghost we're also discussing zatanna which was directed by dick sebast and dan reba and written by paul dini and peter tomashek this episode features julie brown as zatanna i think it was good that we paired zatanna with the gray ghost episode because i think i realized i don't think there's a woman in the gray ghost episode (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, so so there actually there is Summer Gleason who's the reporter.
1: Oh right, right. There is one. Yeah. Okay,
2: yeah, but, <laughs> but this is definitely not a Bechtel test passing episode.
1: No, no. I which uh, the, the Zatanna one also probably doesn't pass the Bechtel test, but Zatanna is a very prominent character in that. One.
2: Right, fair, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe she talks to herself. Maybe that counts.
1: <laughs> um, I remember watching Batman the animated series from the day it premiered. Oh, uh, so that is my memory of the show. Uh, Kirsta, do you remember how you came to Batman the Animated Series?
2: So I am, I am a little older than you, um, and so this would have started, or I would have started watching it probably when I was in high school, and I was not aware of this as a new show. I became aware of it when it was on syndication, just in the afternoons, um, you know, when I got home from school and was flipping through channels this was on i don't even know what i don't even remember what channel um and i it was just a good show and i liked it i remember this was on and gargoyles was also on and like
1: that's another great show
2: gargoyles is it like gargoyles is a show i appreciate now but at the time it was like honestly a little soapy for me um (laughs) it had Beth
1: running around new york city
2: Oh my, oh my gosh also also the inexplicable like inexplicably the entire cast of of uh of Star Trek the Next Generation the next which... generation was the voice mm-hmm.
0: cast yeah
2: yeah um yeah so really I should have given Gargoyle's a better shot but um but yeah I was I just liked Batman the animated series um so yeah I would come home and this was really I was aware of Batman I had probably seen the like maybe one of the Michael Keaton films um but this was really this was really my batman and it probably still is i've seen the christopher nolan films i've seen you know i've i've probably read some of the comics um but really this is that this is my favorite incarnation of Batman. when when people tell me when people say oh you know do you which batman do you like better and they give all the live action ones i always say kevin conroy because i don't care he's the best batman um so yeah, this is just a show that I really liked. And then actually, um years later when when Netflix on DVD was a thing, I um I, you know, I when I was in grad school, I started I I start I got a Netflix subscription because I would like do homework all evening and then reward myself by like watching an hour of a Netflix DVD, so like half of a movie or like one episode of a TV show or two episodes if it was a sitcom. And then at some point I was like, you know, I could watch I could get some episodes of like shows I liked in the 90s and kind of watch those. And so I and so I got some I, I ordered some episodes and there were some shows that like really didn't hold up that well. It's like, oh, OK, this I know I like this at the time, but this is not that great. And then I got some episodes of Batman, the animated series. Um, and so this would have been, you know, this would have been in like the late 2000s and it held up so well I was so shocked I'm like this is better than I remember and I remember really really liking it so I think we can talk a little bit about like the production values and some of the production design too because there are some very interesting choices they made that really make it hold up um, in ways that I don't know if they're maybe um, expecting but yeah so this is like that's how I came to it originally and then that's how I kind of came back to it and yeah it's always had a place in my heart.
0: Andrew, uh, do you remember when you started watching it? Um, I don't remember when I started watching it. I remember buying all the DVDs at some point when they, probably when they did like the full collected set. And I'd probably watched all the DVDs in various sets before then. Um, so that's when I remember it most specifically, um, it was on you know that's yeah. the like it was like there there's a lot of episodes of this batman the animated series show mm-hmm. uh Definitely. like a, a kind of an outrageous number of of episodes um that have been made in in two different styles right because they did the the New pre adventures yeah the like pre superman and then the post superman um batman adventures um and I just remember it being around. There's episodes like I remember watching episodes and episodes sticking with me when I was a little kid. Um, I remember trying to get home from school in time that maybe I could get an episode in. If I like if I walked quick, I'd be <laughs> there in time to to watch Batman.
1: Yeah. Um, I, uh...
0: and, and then I, I remember watching the whole thing. I, I remember more vividly Batman Beyond. I was the perfect age for Batman Beyond. And which is also that, a great show and 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 that sits with me very comfortably as as like maybe my real core like batman introduction is like okay like i'm all in on batman beyond mm-hmm.
2: so a funny thing about the new batman superman adventures so so what happened with they made this show and then they did a bunch of spinoffs which kind of which maybe comes up in the trivia that like this show was so successful they did a whole bunch mm-hmm. of justice league related spinoffs um but and because i was watching syndication at one point they packaged it as the new batman superman adventures and it was like both batman and superman but i really i loved the batman episodes and i thought the superman episodes were so boring and so like i would sit down to watch this show and then like I had a like a 50-50 chance of it being a show I didn't like. <laughs> and it was really frustrating. Um, and I realized, although they did a really, really fun job of like they combined the themes of the two because Batman- had I, I very, really like, like
0: the combined theme yes, for the, like that, the Batman Superman hour.
2: Yes, that one I will 100% give props to that they because they have the sort of like brooding Batman theme and then the sort of like bright kind of brassy Superman theme and they kind of go back and forth. And I realized that, and so I try to like- Figure out as soon as possible if it was a Batman episode or a Superman episode so I could, like, be disappointed as soon as possible so I could go off and, you know, (laughs) work on my math homework or something, sadly. Um, But I realized if the first shot was nighttime, it was almost always a Batman Batman. episode. And if the first shot was daytime, it was almost always a Superman episode. That was, like, a very, very strong rule of thumb. So.
1: Well, if you contrast, like, just the opening credits of Batman the Animated Series with Superman the Animated Series. Uh-huh. I mean, Batman is so dystopic. It's all shadows. It's all yes. noir. Uh, it, I think I read somewhere, and I have not been able to track this down, but I remember reading somewhere that they
0: they drew on black for the Batman That's, opening. Yeah, That's series. definitely in, in, like, the yeah. materials on the DVDs and everything they talk I, about.
2: I added it to our trivia. I added yeah. some stuff to your trivia, which is very long, by the way.
0: Yeah. And, painting, but then, uh, painting the backgrounds on black paper. Uh-huh. But then the Superman
1: Animated Series, it is all bright white utopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yes. and, and like you already noted the music difference uh, that's there. And it's just fascinating to see, because it's the same character design style uh, that's at yeah. play, but they go in such different directions to make it, it feel so different.
2: Which is also hilarious because... Um, and, and okay, behind the scenes, people, we have just come off of recording an episode about <laughs> Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which you will not hear back to back, but that's where we are in the real world. And so we've we've been talking about clark kent and superman being the same person and in the new adventures of superman you know it's it's a it's an animated series and so of course you have like exaggerated proportions but superman has this huge huge chest like he's like a you know 5x size or something and so does clark kent and so like the idea that no one would notice that like these men are both buying the same dress shirt size um despite the fact that he has these like tiny tiny wire glasses because glasses are kind of hard to draw in animation um kind of cracks me up anyway but yes i always thought i always thought the superman show great theme but not as interesting as batman Mm
1: -hmm. oh i was like i'm having flashbacks when i was watching this as a kid like i remember that first episode the one with catwoman that is the first one they aired it's not like if you go start watching the series now it's like uh on leather wings uh, a Mm -hmm. man bad episode is the first one but the first one they aired I think it was a while before the uh, it was just like as a teaser thing they they aired uh, the Cat in the Claw, mm-hmm. um, but I remember watching the opening credit like as the opening credits were going saying I want to poster of that shot when the lightning comes behind Batman <laughs> in the opening credits. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, well, let's get into the trivia because as you noted, I had quite a bit. <clears throat> <laughs> so, Batman the Animated Series ran for two ish seasons and eighty five episodes from nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety five. Everyone agrees there were eighty five episodes. <laughs> of Batman the animated series. Uh but then there's also the later one, The New Adventures that is that sometimes gets grouped in with it. But depending where you're looking, it'll say either two or three seasons. Um and I can I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: IMDb says 3. Um HBO Max, which is where I'm watching it says 3, but who knows. Mm-hmm. The the, and second the and third seasons are released short, in three though. volumes.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and adding to this confusion the last 20 episodes of the show were titled the adventures of batman and robin and then they retroactively went and changed some earlier episodes to have that title and that title sequence but if you watched it in its original run it would have had just like the batman the animated series um title and then there's the post uh uh there's another version that's going to come along later that has similar animation style is actually a different series so the series was popular enough that an animated movie, Mask of the Phantasm, was made and released in theaters, and another animated movie, Sub-Zero, was made and released as a direct-to-video film. A Catwoman spinoff was briefly planned, uh, but it was canceled before it went into production. Uh, but that was early on when it was, they realized they had something going very very well with this, this series. Um, recently, a podcast continuation of the series with the original voice cast returning was announced and seems to be in development from what I could find. Don't have a release date, but uh, keep an eye out for that um previous animated series that had used dc comic book characters had been produced by filmation hannah barbera ruby spears and dic this was the first series that was produced by warner brothers and soon paul dini and bruce tim would be producers on an expanded dc animation universe with um the new batman adventures superman the animated series batman beyond static shock justice league justice league unlimited um all those you don't know, have the imprint of this batman the animated series on them uh the animated series won four emmy awards including one for outstanding uh animation program uh oh here it is the the trivia that you added in here <laughs> <laughs> to create the eerie nighttime feeling the background painters used dark paper instead of traditional white this also allowed them to save time from painting large portions of black color as most of the scenes are set at night the animators coined the term dark deco for this art style and there is so much black when you start yeah, looking so for it you're like oh I mean- they really did just lean into the shadows
2: yeah i and I think i've I've read or, or heard on a commentary that this was one of the last series they produced that was still using um you know paint materials instead of using digital animation, and so they actually you know using paper and painting on paper was actually um, a concern rather than just using a digital palette.
1: Right, where now it's just like okay, well, just put black there, and you can do that in a few clicks yes. <laughs> with, with digital. Um, the voice class, cast, including Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne/Batman, Mark Hamill as the Joker, and Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, has been recognized for the quality of their work, and are, I think, for many people, still like iconic versions of uh, those characters. Uh, and, Andrew, and I'm actually I,
2: oh, sorry, I'm ahead. actually going to tell you to go back. This, I mean, this kind of this kind of repeats the the thing that I added in, but you had added in that the series uses an art deco film noir style and I just want to like emphasize that because so it's dark it's dark deco but it's also art deco and I think that's gonna when we kind of talk about why this series has aged so well that's something I want to hit on very specifically Mm -hmm. the the art deco styling so
1: oh yeah the the design is it it gives it something timeless I I guess even though it is like rooted in a specific time it was unmoored from time when they were making it and so it doesn't feel dated um andrew you have i believe on your wall uh an autograph from kevin
0: conroy is that right no i actually have two autographs from kevin conroy Mm. i have um a piece of artwork and i had him sign a bag that i used through throughout high school um it was a a batman uh, messenger bag and so i had him sign both of those when we met him at, at comic con
1: and I have one uh, piece of Batman the Animated series artwork that's signed to the Drowski family by Kevin Conroy.
2: <sighs> I <laughs> have many blessings in my life. And I don't need to be jealous of the things that other people have. <laughs> and if, I had, it makes I, you at at feel time, better,
0: Kirsta. Um, when we were in line for that autograph, there was someone who had a very particular item. And everyone kind of agreed, like, well, that guy's got like the best thing for Kevin Conroy to to sign.
2: Uh-huh. There
0: was a time I don't think they're they're currently doing it, um, but they did a series of collectible, uh, of, well, uh, collectibles called automobilia, uh huh, and it was various Batmobiles in like nice display cases and like a high quality, um, you know, larger larger than than your basic toy car. Yeah. Um kind of thing. And he got the Batmobile from the animated series and had oh. Kevin Con- Conroy sign that and then he put the case back on it.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's like that's kind of the good. best one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wins.
1: <laughs> yeah. I um my daughter was pretty I can't remember how old she was, but she would have been like f- 5, 6 or 7 like somewhere in that age range, but she went to that uh Comic-Con or Fan-X uh dressed as Batgirl. Like she wanted to be Batgirl. Uh-huh. And so she was with me when we met Kevin Conroy, and she had seen a number of the episodes sure. um, uh, of the series. And so she kind of knew that she was talking to the voice of Batman, but he, he asked what her name was, and I, we said Lizzie. And then he did the Batman voice, and he goes, Lizzie, we need you in the Batcave.
2: Oh! <laughs> why, my she, heart.
1: She was, she, I, can't, I think she said, like, the Joker's on the loose or something
0: like
2: that. <laughs> what a sweetheart. If, if yeah. I die in the middle of recording this podcast, it will be of sweetness and love from Kevin Conroy. Andrew. Oh, he was so nice.
1: So, yeah. I mean, he was, he was great. He was, um, you know, I've I've had the chance to do through, you know, work at some of the you know, doing some panels and things. Uh, to, you know, to interact with some celebrities and mm-hmm. they're almost always like cordial, but like sure. he he seemed to legitimately like be taking time to like engage with the fandom of every person that was getting a signature from him. Yeah. Uh, and and it just if if you think you like Kevin Conroy because he's the voice of Batman, also just know he seems to be a truly nice person yeah all right uh this uh series batman the animated series is famous for a number of reasons but one is uh the character of harley quinn who has kind of exploded and and become like a icon of the dc comics universe um, <laughs> first appeared in this animated series before she ever appeared in a comic book and certainly before you know the the live action appearances that we're getting in in suicide squad and other DC films uh so she's one of the most successful like new comic book creations the last 30 years I'd say it's like Harley Quinn and Venom are probably like the new characters from uh you know that that window of time that have broken through to some of the enduring characters of the golden and silver age uh you know as far as like pop culture impact and uh then so so Harley Quinn appeared in the the cartoon series then in a comic book tie into the series not like the main dc comics but dc had a series called the batman adventures which was all done in the style of batman the animated series and so the first comic book appearance of harley quinn is actually in issue number 12 of the batman adventures and uh then eventually she'll be introduced into the main dc continuity of traditional batman comics um but that issue number 12 of the batman adventures um is uh her first appearance in comics and can sell for over a thousand dollars today if you have a a top uh notch uh quality uh issue of it um I, in our lois and clark uh, episode we talked about uh, a comic book similar you know from the same era of uh, the death of superman that sells for less than its cover price uh, because <laughs> <laughs> because they printed so many copies of it and everyone was buying them and saving them uh no th- this had a much smaller print run and uh no one expected anything to come from a you know issue number 12 of the batman adventures the tie-in to <laughs> to the batman animated series uh and yet it's harley quinn's first appearance and so it has that uh you know for collectors that historical importance attached to it and so it has uh definitely gone up in value so besides introducing harley quinn as a villain the series reinterpreted several existing batman villains in ways that have been adopted into the comics so you know the series is adapting the comic book characters but uh some of their changes have become uh, you know, the core version of those characters, the most famous of those is Mr. Freeze, who was kind of a B-level mad scientist who first appeared in the 1950s and was not used very often at all uh, in, in the comic books. Um, and then in this animated series, they turned him into a tragic figure that audiences could sympathize with. Somehow the live action version played by Arnold Schwarzenegger is more of what people think of when they think of a cartoony villain than the one that was in the actual Batman cartoon. Um and and uh that is now the version that is used in the comics is the one mm-hmm. from this animated series, even though and, and the character I, had appeared in the fifties originally. Yeah,
2: because he's cause you know, originally he's just like he's like he's just a, a villain with a gimmick who like he makes things cold. Like that's mm-hmm. you know, and in the and in that episode, the idea is that um is that his He's a scientist, and his wife has this like terminal illness, and so he wants he he wants to work on like cryogenic preservation so that he can like save her life so that someday maybe she can be um she can you know she can be healed of this illness, but then like it goes wrong, and so he ends up becoming and then yeah and so and and it's this very like empathetic um, story with like beautiful animation. And I love that DC just looked at it and were like, yes,
1: That's better. That, that is, is now, now than
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretend all these other appearances never happened for this Right, character.
2: exactly. <laughs> Which is one advantage of, telling the same story over and over again is that you get you know sometimes you get more of a chance to get it right than you did (laughs) the first time
1: yeah uh kevin conroy is the first person to use two distinct voices to portray bruce wayne and batman that was his own idea it definitely feels inspired by the um like the uh radio show portrayal of superman uh where uh uh bud collier i believe was the voice actor who would do kind of a nasally clark kent and then like drop his voice as like for the audience like as he was saying it's like it's now you know uh clark kent stepping into the the closet and (laughs) now will come superman you know he would do it like (laughs) during the transition
2: yeah uh, for the radio show and for people who aren't familiar with this show kevin conroy has a very deep voice anyway and so when he drops it down to play to to be Batman and to be that more menacing figure it is very very deep and then he pitches it a little bit higher um to be Bruce Wayne and he says he uses two distinct voices and actually he has like three because he has the Bruce Wayne voice which is a little bit higher and a little bit like I'm just you know a kind of Dim playboy, (laughs) and then he has the Batman voice that's menacing, and then he has a third voice that's pitched between the two that he uses to talk to people who know he's both. So, like when he's talking to Batman in the cave, yes, yes, yeah. Um, and then he actually has a fourth voice that he uses for Thomas Wayne in flashbacks, which comes up in the gray ghost
0: in this Um, this episode, yeah,
2: and an occasional fifth voice for like teenage matches
0: malone also well, and then he would have had to do old bruce wayne for batman beyond
2: yeah. right right but yeah but not in this in not this series yes
0: yeah um great voice actor kevin conroy mm-hmm. and,
1: um let's see the last bit of trivia the title of the show is never seen producers said that since batman was an instantly recognizable character anyone in any language would uh be able to tell what the show was about I, I had never thought about that, but yeah, I guess it never says "Batman: The Animated Series" in the nope. opening credits or anything.
2: They have a title card for the episode of the show that is often very mm-hmm. Art Deco inspired. Um, oh, but yeah, I didn't realize origible. this until I was just origibles. searching on IMDb. Oh, the so.
1: police blimp! Yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for those.
2: So yeah, let's talk about the production design a little bit. Um, so it it's it was so the show was made in the '90s, but it was. Um, it has a very Art Deco look. I mean, people wear fedoras, and you see like a lot of the buildings are Art Deco. Um, the television is always black and white, despite the fact that for you younger people, color television did exist in the 90s. Um, there's a computer, you know, so obviously computers did not exist in the 20s, the 1920s. Um, but the computers are, the computer, the back computer is monochromatic, mm-hmm. which would have been a little bit. I guess maybe early 90s computers were, were still a lot of the monochromatic. But it's funny because, um, so so one thing I've read is the idea was like, it was kind of a parallel design choice where like the night like it could have split from the 1920s and we kept a lot of those elements and so it's like it's set in our current time but with more 1920s influences and of course with architecture it could have just been built in the 1920s um and it just kind of and and you know also it was influenced by um by the tim burton uh batman films and uses the same theme so danny elfman had written the theme for the tim burton series and it uses the same theme in the tv show um, and so, and so it just has this kind of, you know, fun, you know, Ardego feel. But one thing that it did, whether or not it was deliberate, is that it made the show age really well, because, because it was already pulling, um from different styles that were not the, the those very present 1990s styles, it ended up not looking dated when we went back to it. You know, 10 years or 20 years later, despite the fact that the computer is monochromatic, which computers are not anymore. Despite the fact that people don't have cell phones, because or that he goes al-
1: to the library to do some research and looks stuff yes, up in books. Yes, yes,
2: right. <laughs> um, and actually, it's kind of funny. I was on TV tropes today, um, looking at kind of some trivia about the episodes and there's a there's a plot point where he has to look up information about an old television show and can't find it. And TV Tropes is like, you know, now he could have looked on Wikipedia or IMDb or TV Tropes. Um, yeah, so he's looking, he has to look in, he has to, you know, people call each other on phones, on landlines, and people, you know, have to go to the library to look up information. But because it's pulling from, but, but, and yet, you know, we still have, he still has bat gadgets that can do things that 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 technology can't do. And so it just kind of feels timeless or like anything that feels dated feels kind of purposely dated um and years are hardly ever or almost never referenced and then everyone is like you know like like commissioner gordon is always wearing a, a trench coat and a fedora and so you can't tell if it's a hundred years ago or 10 years ago but you're still just wearing a trench coat and fedora um and i was noticing uh watching rewatching lois and clark that actually their set has a lot of art deco elements in it um, and then also like having seen the flash more recently. And is that just like a DC thing now that they do a lot of art deco or is that just me noticing it when it's showing up and that's not as much of a pattern as I think it is.
1: I think I've heard an- um, at least for somewhere. I heard from production designers that because of the Tim Burton films, that is a, a feeling they try to evoke with a lot of DC properties when they're doing it. Um, okay. Uh, and, and it does seem deliberate. Uh, and okay. they, at least in the one interview that I saw, they they were pointing back to uh again, that kind of like unmooring everything from time that sure. Tim Burton did, where it was sure. like black and white newscasts, uh, but modern music and right. you know, things like that.
2: Yeah, um, Yeah, 'cause cause with Tim Burton and then with the success of this show, you know, I don't know if it if it had that much effect on things. But it and, and at least with architecture, you can also assume, well, maybe that they're just physically in a building that's that old. You yeah. know, it, it has a great look to it, but it also doesn't have to be anachronistic if they don't want it to. It could just be Something that looks kind of old, and and DC as a franchise isn't quite old enough to be Art Deco because Art Deco is a little bit more twenties than like late thirties, but it almost it's it's almost that old, and so it almost just kind of like references the franchise of, you know, they've been around for that long. So,
0: yeah.
1: Um. All right. Well, uh, Kirsten, you were kind enough to write up the summaries for these episodes. Do you want to go ahead and sure. uh, tell us what happens in the Gray Ghost and Zatanna?
2: Yes. Or Beware the Grey Ghost. I always forget that. Beware the the Grey Ghost. Yes. Um, And I will say, despite the fact that these are uh, 22-minute episodes, they are surprisingly complex. (laughs) (laughs) So we will start with Beware the Grey Ghost. We begin with a flashback to a black and white TV serial about a crime fighter, the Grey Ghost, who wears a costume that includes a cape, goggles, and a fedora. The title card tells us that the star of the Grey Ghost is named Simon Trent and that this episode is called the Mad Bomber. We cut to a little boy watching the TV show. The little boy is clearly a big fan of this show since he is wearing a Grey Ghost costume himself and holding a Grey Ghost action figure. His father, sitting on a chair behind him, says, ''Bedtime right after the Grey Ghost, okay Bruce?'' In the Grey Ghost episode, we hear the sound of a high-pitched motor then see a building explode as the Grey Ghost runs to the rescue. Later, the gray ghost finds a ransom note signed the Mad Bomber. Little Bruce Wayne has fallen asleep before the end of the episode. His father carries him upstairs saying, time for all little gray ghosts to be in bed. It's so cute. Um, Now in present-day Gotham, we hear a strange sound like a high-pitched motor right before seeing an explosion. Batman surveys the rescue from atop a building, then lands on the ground by Commissioner Gordon, who hands him a ransom note threatening to blow up the Gotham art school next. The note is signed the Mad Bomber. Later, Bruce Wayne tosses and turns in bed, then sits up, suddenly making the connection between the evening's bombings and the episode of the Grey Ghost he saw as a child. Side note, the bed he's sleeping in is huge. Bruce Wayne is not a small man, but his bed is like four times the size of a king-sized bed. Um, It just cracked me up. Everything in Wayne Manor is oversized. I think it's meant to like evoke loneliness and isolation. And again, like art deco Diantist. And also
1: wealth and indulgence. Yes. Right?
2: Yes. <laughs> um and even like even in the flashback, it it manages, I mean like it's large but it managed to make make me a little bit homey, but I had to crack up at that bed. Like where do you even find sheets for a bed that big Okay. Uh, The next day, Bruce visits a film archive to see about getting a copy of that episode since he can't find it on tape. The archivist tells him he's out of luck. Nobody has any Grey Ghost episodes because the studio that produced it burned down and all the negatives were lost. This is a real thing. Film is really hard to archive and like it can explode and it's a real problem. Um, It
1: will will literally spontaneously combust.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is this is not something I have to work with directly, but I, I know people who do. Um, having reached one dead end, Bruce decides to look for information about the show's star, Simon Trent. Looking through old actors' directories, he finds that Trent is currently living in Gotham City. We cut to a scene of a rundown apartment building with the name S. Trent on a mailbox. An angry apartment manager is pounding on a door, yelling at Simon that his rent is late. We see an older Simon Trent inside the apartment, which is filled with gray ghost memorabilia. His agent calls, but only to apologetically tell him that he has missed out on another part. People still think of you as the gray ghost those who remember i can do other parts i'm an actor simon protests he hangs up the phone and angrily smashes the glass on a framed gray ghost poster in the next scene he carries a box of memorabilia into a store that sells antique toys and collectibles ted the young owner of the store is excited to see the items but then hesitantly asks if trent if he's sure he wants to sell the original gray ghost costume Trent says he's sure, and the toy owner apologetically says he can't offer much for them, gesturing at an already full shelf of Grey Ghost collectibles that aren't selling. Back in the shabby apartment, his shelves now bare of Grey Ghost memorabilia, Simon Trent falls asleep in an easy chair near an open window. In the morning, he wakes up and gasps. The shelves are full again. The glass on the Grey Ghost poster is repaired, and his original costume has been returned. The costume has a note pinned to it that reads, Grey Ghost, meet me tonight at the Gotham Art School, a friend. Trent shows up at the appointed time and place, but is shocked to see that the friend who steps out of the shadows is Batman. Batman says he needs Trent's help to remember how the Mad Bomber episode ended so that he can figure out how the current bomber is getting past police and other security measures. Trent protests that he's just an actor who made hundreds of episodes of the show, and he doesn't remember the plot lines of each of them. Just then, they both hear the sound of a high-pitched motor. Batman quickly pushes Trent into an alley for safety as the art school explodes behind them. Back at Simon Trent's apartment, he finally acknowledges that he has copies of all the old episodes. He hands the Mad Bomber reel over to Batman, but protests again that he doesn't want to be involved. Batman says, I used to admire what the Grey Ghost stood for. Trent says, I'm not the Grey Ghost. Batman responds, I can see that now. Back at stately Wayne Manor, Alfred is running a projector while Bruce eats popcorn and watches the episode, enjoying it as much as he did when he was a child. Side note, I'm not like, there's some beautiful cinematography in this episode, and I'm not able to capture it um, mm-hmm. uh, in this summary, but it's just really, really lovely. So go watch the episode.
1: Yeah, this, yeah, uh, yeah I think a lot of care was taken in this one. And yes. uh, the series as a whole, like, holds up really <laughs> well. But this particular episode, I remember it standing out when I first saw it as a kid yeah. and like thinking, there's something special about this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's definitely stuck with me. Like, I, I wrote an essay on it that's published in uh Aww. in uh on in it was called batman fan phenomena because about it was about, it was about different ways fan fandoms interact uh I with things they it. love yeah um, um but yeah i'm with you that mm-hmm. the cinematography definitely holds up
2: yeah um and it's fun that when they do the flashbacks it's like sepia toned because memories are always sepia toned okay um He again hears the high-pitched motor sound and finally learns that in the Grey Ghost episode, the bombs were carried by small remote-controlled toy cars. He phones Commissioner Gordon with the information that night the police are waiting at the bomber's next target the gotham library not the library i was (laughs) legit upset about that they destroy one of the toy cars batman takes out another and then and then chases a third one into an alleyway however the third car is an unarmed decoy as batman turns around however he sees several more armed toy cars headed his direction someone drops a rope into the alley and batman climbs into the top of a building to find simon trent in costume as the gray ghost Batman shows him the decoy car, which is apparently a piece of official Grey Ghost merchandise. Batman says he's going to check the car for fingerprints, then turns and asks the Grey Ghost if he wants to lend a hand. As they drive away in the Batmobile, they are pursued by a few remaining toy cars. Batman tells the Grey Ghost to press a special switch to release an oil slick behind them. Later, the Grey Ghost removes a blindfold and steps into the Batcave, commenting that it looks just like the Grey Ghost's lair. Batman says, as a kid, I used to watch you with my father. The Grey Ghost was my hero. Simon Trent says, so, it wasn't all for nothing. The bat computer is checking the toy car for fingerprint matches, and it gets a hit on Simon Trent. Batman turns to him and says, you had the only copy of the show. The Mad Bomber followed the show step by step. Trent protests, I'm not the Mad Bomber. I sold my Grey Ghost cars months ago to pay for, and he has a sudden realization. We cut to Ted, the friendly toy store owner from earlier, who is secretly the Mad Bomber. Batman arrives at his shop and the Mad Bomber monologues about how he loves toys, but he constantly needs more money to be able to buy more of them. Batman and the Grey Ghost fight the Mad Bomber, whose toy collection is ultimately, ironically, destroyed in an explosion. In the final scene, there is a big public event for the video release of the long-lost Grey Ghost television series. Simon Trent is at the center of attention, signing autographs for a long line of fans. Bruce Wayne reaches the front of the line and asks him to autograph a video. As Bruce leaves, he turns to remark, you know, as a kid, I used to watch you with my father. The gray ghost was my hero, and he still is.
1: Oh, such a great episode. I all know, right, uh, I know. Let's do the Zatanna one real quick, and then we'll okay. we'll dive in. <laughs>
2: all right, give me a second to catch my breath. Yeah. I'm doing all this standing. Summary for our second episode, Zatana. Zatanna. We open on a magic show starring Zatanna, a female female magician performing various illusions. Bruce Wayne and his butler, Alfred, are in the audience clapping appreciatively. Alfred quietly asks, how long has it been? Ten years? Twelve? All that and another lifetime, Bruce responds. She and her father were very fond of you. I was a different person then. Yes, intense, driven, moody. She'd never recognize you now, Alfred teases. Bruce smirks. Zatanna continues to perform as we flash back in Bruce's memory to a scene in which a teenage Bruce Wayne is hanging upside down in a straitjacket and chains. He manages to free himself and an older man, the magician Zatara, congratulates him on achieving his fastest time yet. While they talk, a teenage girl slips behind them to eavesdrop zatara tells him he would make a great magician but bruce wayne who has been studying with him under the obvious alias john smith says that he has no interest in performing and tells zatara that in fact it's now time for him to move on to learn something else zatara tells john that he'll miss him adding that he's sure his daughter the eavesdropping zatanna will also be sad slightly embarrassed at being caught zatanna tells bruce that she's sorry he won't be finishing out the tour with her and her father she teases him for being so serious all the time and fans out a deck of cards jokingly telling him to pick one so that she can predict his future he obliges and she says hopefully two of hearts the card is a joker which is a great moment by the way um he promises her that he'll write from japan his next destination and he calls her by the nickname zana she is skeptical of the promise and instead tricks him by handcuffing him to a ladder on the side of the stage walking away and saying that now he'll miss his flight However, when she turns around, the handcuffs are dangling empty, and he's already disappeared. Back in the present day, Zatanna's final act will be to make a giant pile of money belonging to the Gotham Mint disappear and then reappear. (laughs) On stage to witness the final trick are the president of the Gotham Mint, along with a noted magic skeptic and debunker named Montague Kane. Zatanna does successfully make the money disappear in a cloud of pink smoke, but then it doesn't reappear. Instead, Zatanna is arrested for theft, and like immediately, which is hilarious. Bruce is certain she's been set up, meaning that her arrest is just distracting the police while the real criminal gets away. As Batman, he breaks her out of the police van while it is en route to the station. Batman tells Zatanna that he heard about the robbery and wants to help her. They head back to the Mint to look for clues. They sneak in through a skylight, convenient, and find, ev- and find evidence that the real thief used Zatanna's own techniques against her to steal the money before the trick was ever performed. Batman and Zatana reason that it would take someone who knew a lot about magic to pull off the heist, and they both realize that it must have been the debunker, Montague Kane. Back in the Batmobile, Batman offers to drop her off while he goes after Kane alone, asking hesitantly if she wants to call anyone to let them know that she's safe. Zatanna sadly says that being on the road doesn't allow time for romantic relationships, and since her father died, she's been alone. Batman offers his condolences, saying that he saw Zatara perform when he was younger. Zatanna looks at Batman's masked face thoughtfully and remarks that she feels like they've met before. Batman uncomfortably uncomfortably responds that he just has that kind of face. Batman and Zatanna make their way to Kane's house, but he's already gone and has set a trap for them. They escape from the trap and find him on a private plane that is just taking off. Batman and Zatanna fight Kane and his henchmen, but the tide turns against them and they're captured. Kane handcuffs and chains them together while preparing to throw them out of the plane over the ocean. Batman whispers, trust me, Zana, then says quick in my glove before passing her a lockpicking tool. In that moment, Zatanna recognizes the nickname Zana that only John Smith ever used for her. Before they are thrown out of the cargo hold, Batman catches a bit of netting on his foot. As they dangle off the end of the netting, Zatanna unlocks their handcuffs while Batman picks the locks on the other chains. I just want to say this
1: netting is incredible. Whatever it's made out of (laughs) is astoundingly (laughs) strong. The tensile strength blows my mind.
2: (laughs) Yes. Uh, The fight continues back and forth, but eventually Batman and Zatanna are victorious. Back in Gotham, Kane is arrested and taken away as Batman and Zatanna look on. She says, so you never wrote. He says, I meant to. She then asks what made him decide to put on the mask. He replies, a painful memory and a promise. She says she thinks he's keeping that promise and that her dad would be proud of him. He turns away to offer her a ride, but when she looks when he looks back, she has disappeared in a cloud of pink smoke, leaving only a note addressed to John from Zana saying that she hates goodbyes too, and telling him not to forget to write.
1: This this episode did a really good job with those like buttons on scenes. Uh, you know, yes. the, the handcuffs dangling on the ladder, the mm-hmm. Joker card being revealed. Uh, you know, and the, I like,
2: love, love, love that for once someone else does a help. Does a stealth disappearance on him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and we find out and like no one is equal to Batman in everything he can do. But she is at least equal to him in terms of getting out of stuff and disappearing because they both learned it from the same person.
0: All right,
1: Andrew Kirsten just talked an awful lot. Do you have any thoughts on Beware the Grey Ghost or Zatanna
0: that you want to make sure we get into this episode? I I mean mostly I just wanted to contribute to the discussion of of the show as a whole. And, okay. and, and and like these are these are solid episodes. I think these episodes do a great job of showing something that that the show doesn't do in every episode, but but both of these episodes have it, where it shows the roots of batman are a little more complicated than than just the death of his parents i don't know that they actually show and and uh, this is something that's been discussed i'm sure we've mentioned on the podcast every movie feels the need to show the death of the waynes
2: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and i don't know if this show ever does it actually i don't think so um, i can't remember well i know, well, I I know like the uh
2: in the flashback
1: But it wouldn't be the way it traditionally is because I know the producers talked about what they could and couldn't show in Mm -hmm. terms of violence uh, that they felt um, a little bit um, constrained uh, because they couldn't show guns being pointed at people uh, and things like that. And they're, they're like. They would be looking around like, I think the Spider-Man show is doing that. Why can't we, Why can't we do that? Um,
2: I, I feel like there's a flashback in which a string of pearls maybe lands on the ground.
1: No, Frank Miller gave us that imagery and it has never left
0: the adaptations. But I'm not sure if that's act- Like, I can't for sure. That
2: could be a false memory. Yeah,
0: yeah like I'm not, I'm not 100% on that. Yeah. and But they do put in a lot of time where it's an episode that is relevant to the training that he did. Mm-hmm. or it is an episode where like look Bruce Wayne was a kid and he was inspired by characters mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and so you have moments like that i think it's it's good that we've got two episodes with that because it it like i said it's not in every episode yeah. but they but they had enough time that they could put episodes in like that and that's the sort of stuff that you're never going to get in the movies right yeah. they're never going to spend that kind of time where yeah, you I can think get him against actually... it the most. Yes. But, uh, but, they, but they make them. that absolutely directly connected to yeah. everything that's happening to him, the rest mm-hmm. of the series, basically. Yeah. And, or at least the rest of that movie, minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I and... think that is a disservice to the the storytelling, right? Having a decompressed storytelling mechanism like a TV show is a lot better for giving you the sense that it's like, yeah, a lot of history exists for this character this person you know if we're gonna you know call it a person um for the for the character where he has had a number of adventures and not every major adventure bleeds into a significant storyline for a movie
2: (laughs) as a little behind the scenes because this episode because these these episodes are so short we decided to do two um and and joe said well i'll pick one and, and you pick one and so joe picked the gray ghost which is i think generally regarded as one of the top shows of all time like definitely in the top 10 i think or top 15 of of batman the animated series and then i took a ridiculously long time to pick my episode um given that i have wanted to do an episode of this on the protagonist podcast for years literal years and then i'm just like (laughs) why can't i pick an episode um and i i picked Zatana because i did like the whole um interplay between like what if it's someone who knows him but not as Batman or as Bruce Wayne, kind of knows him a different way. Um, Zatanna is not considered one of the great episodes, but it has elements that I like. And then I actually really like that Andrew has pointed out that it that they both inform his background, which was not something we planned, but that's just kind of how it worked out with us each picking an episode.
1: Yeah, if you just started the summary of these two episodes, you might assume that every Batman the animated series has a flashback. Uh, no. and they do not.
2: <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe and I just both like them apparently.
1: Yes, Um, the one thing I love about the Grey Ghost episode is that it's so meta in talking about the idea of Batman um, and And let's actually talk
2: about that because not maybe people don't know that or get.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you have Adam West as the voice of the Grey Ghost, who is, um, you know, the 1960s Batman which is something that still has a presence in in pop culture. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a familiarity there. Um, and to the and point that the 1960- I'm pretty sure as a kid, I knew it was Adam West doing the voice because I'd seen episodes of the 1960s Batman and reruns right. on the Family Channel or whatever. To, to um, give but then context... When this episode, oh, go ahead.
2: How was the 1960s Batman... What is its influence on or how is it different from 1980s and going forward Batman? And then what was its influence on adam west's
1: career uh so so the simon Trent character and adam west (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) there's a
1: lot of uh overlap in 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 that that uh adam west felt completely defined by his portrayal of batman and had um a complex given you know love and hate relationship that uh the tv show made him a household name and certainly financially uh you know set him up in ways that many other roles would not have, but also he was type- typecast forever and struggled to find roles because he was so identifiable as Batman and as the goofy Batman from the 1960s. And that campy Batman is so different than this noir aesthetic uh, Batman that we're getting in, in the animated series. They're both valid versions of Batman. <laughs> you know, like these, these yeah. are both uh, both Batman, but they are on ends of spectrums so that I'll, can feel um, you know, so opposed uh, that that it's almost odd to to think of them as as, as the same. But it's just, you know we get um, Tim Burton's dark Batman, and we get Joel Schumacher's light and goofy Batman, and we get uh, Christopher Nolan's super dark Batman, and and then you know Zack Snyder's darker Batman, and now
2: <laughs> you know another dark one. Eight shades of dark. I mean,
1: uh-huh. but this this is all I'm, Batman. Right? Uh-huh. You know, yeah, th- th- that's in yeah. here and so the show in casting Adam West knows what's doing they cast him in a a role that feels very analogous to what his career actually was but Mm -hmm. also the Grey Ghost is being used as an analog for pulp heroes that inspired the creation of Batman in 1939 Um, so characters like the Shadow and Spider and um, you know there's a handful of others that you can point to and say oh these are clear antecedents that were in the air when Batman was being created and Batman is uh, borrowing or giving homage to uh, this style of character Um, they created a new version with the Grey Ghost um, but it's it's you. You, if you go look at pulp covers uh, it's like oh okay this is what they're doing and so it's acknowledging like the historical actual like real our real world creation like what is the pop culture history of Batman what inspired yeah. Batman to create a character that's going to inspire Bruce Wayne in this animated version uh, you know of Batman and they're going to cast uh, Adam West in that role it's like it's so much both real world pop culture history uh, production history and Uh, went into thinking about how the story was gonna be told but then just the story itself works like you could watch this without any of that metatextual you know information and it's a good batman story that they're telling and so there's so many great layers in there and then one other thing that i really enjoy is um you know what i ended up writing that essay on is how this is going to portray both positive and negative aspects of fandom (laughs) um i think the title of my essay was Inspired, uh, obsessive, and nostalgic—the facets of fandom in Batman: Beware the Gray Ghost, or Be- Beware the Gray Um, because you have the character of Bruce Wayne, who is inspired by the Gray Ghost to go and become a hero, <laughs> like to, to pick up the most positive attributes he's seeing in something that he loved as a child. You have the villain of the episode, who is this obsessed, uh, controlling. Uh, gatekeeping <laughs> kind of kind of fan yeah. uh, that wants to own this thing that he loved as a child mm-hmm. uh, and and wants it as a possession and then you have uh, you know at the end you get this like this loving nostalgia for things you know, uh, something that meant something to people and that they're they're eager to revisit uh, in a positive way and so it, you you know yeah. there's lots of different avenues to explore what fandom means that's given to us in this 22 minute animated episode
2: oh yeah no it's 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 unbelievable that it's as short as it is because it it packs in so much. Um it's also very funny when Bruce Wayne is standing in line because he's like, "Oh, can you make it out to Bruce?" Um and and Simon Trent's voice is like, "Okay, here you go, Bruce." And it's like the the pitch of it is like it's not quite patronizing, but it's like it's a little bit like It's a very, it's an interesting pitch because it's like I am doing something kind for you. Obviously, he does not know at this point that he has just, you know, saved Gotham City with Batman, right? So, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a fun reversal. Um, And also, even Ted, the like evil mad bomber, clearly really loves Simon Trent when he comes in, and he's (laughs) like, you know, so even he has as this sort of like, you know, crazy toy collector loves is, is happy to see Simon Trent come in always buy stuff from him you know even if he can't pay very much is really excited to see the original Grego's things you know I don't think that that's part of an act I think that's genuine um even though he has this like supercomputer in his basement which I'd love to know where that came from um <gasps> did you catch who the who does the voice of Ted the toy collector slash mad bomber
1: um I think I know I'm, I've got it up right here so I'm i <laughs> am uh i'm uh yeah yeah it's it's bruce tim uh right
2: it's or i thought it was paul dini
1: uh i i think well i i think the uh, my memory is like the visual was based on one and the voice was the other
2: okay yes yeah. <laughs> but either way it's it's one of the creators the joke is that the, the tongue in cheek is that it's one of the creators okay maybe maybe it was the visual but yeah the joke yeah. is that it's one of the creators mm-hmm. of batman so like as a joke is um is himself Voicing the the obsessive fan, even though he's the creator of Batman the animated series, which is paying homage to and he's he, but I mean he's
1: probably recognizing he's been an obsessive fan of Batman.
2: Right? Oh yeah, 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 and and is painting himself in the worst light, even though he's also someone who clearly loves you know previous incarnations of batman and is not and and then and this also was a small detail but like he has a um the mad bomber when he's at one point when he's foiled and we cut him and we finally find out who he is he has a toy of batman <laughs> that he is angrily pounding against the a, a table and breaking and i don't know if there i like i don't know if there are any other acknowledgements in this series that batman is a toy like <laughs> that
1: he's been merchandised. <laughs>
2: right. That might be the only one. Anyway, so that's a very, very fun wink. Um, I also I also noticed that that Batman only ever calls Simon Trent the gray ghost, whether or not he is in costume. <laughs> and part of me wonders, is that just like professional courtesy? <laughs> you
1: know, like, As please, one fighter to another. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Even when Simon Trent is like, I'm not the great ghost. And he's like, Yes, you are. (laughs) Um uh people have also pointed out that this is like this is the closest Batman ever gets to be like a fanboy. You know, he's very stoic. Um, but he's just like so excited to be hanging out with the great ghost, which is really sweet. And it and it also reminds me of like of people who get inspired by actors to do things that the actors characters do so you know like an actor plays like this amazing athlete or something and some will go back and be like oh yeah you know i became a a black belt in taekwondo and the actor will be like you know that was a stunt double right you know and so it's kind of it's kind of wild or like i read this very funny story about um so so dave in labyrinth jim henson film labyrinth david bowie plays this like crazy goblin guy who um who's constantly he's doing what's called contact juggling with these glass balls which is like basically you can take like two glass balls and you can like move them around in your hand but he can do that with like three different balls it's like it's like juggling but it's just doing like cool tricks with balls and moving them around your hands and stuff google contact juggling anyway david bowie is a man of many talents but he's not a professional contact juggler so, um, what happened was they had a, they had a professional who would stand behind him and he was always wearing these like long black gloves and he'd stand behind him and put his arm out and be his like arm stunt double and do all these cool tricks all the time. And this came up on some, this came up on some, um, some fan site or something of like, oh yeah, did you know? And they have like behind the scenes shots of this person, like standing behind him doing these cool things. Did you know that this was like a professional juggler who was standing behind to do these cool tricks? And this woman responds and she's like, Oh my gosh you know, my husband loves that show. And she always thought it was David Bowie doing it himself, which if you think about it is a little ridiculous. And she's like, and my husband studied contact juggling for years because he thought it was so cool. (laughs) And so like, again, here's the thing where like, oh, you're an actor. And he's like conflated this thing and assumes that like, oh, David Bowie just must be able to do this amazing thing. And then like, no, he couldn't. And so now the fan has become the master in a way that the actor never could without realizing that, you know, that he had kind of superseded the actor.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, I, I think the show is hinting at so many really interesting ideas and it does it just the right level where it's still super mm-hmm. accessible for kids, you know, because this is still, uh, you know, a, a, a cartoon that was targeting that younger demographic. But for any adults who, who stumble upon it, they're gonna be like, oh, there's, there's, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And the, you know, the worth of culture and the mm-hmm. and and whether or not you have made something of value, even if you don't think your life has been of value, there's some stuff mm-hmm. going on here, Joe.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: Oh, and also, like at the end when uh, when Adam West is signing, like he already mentioned something about like his line delivery as he's like, "There you go, Bruce." I thought how so many times has Adam West sat behind uh-huh. the table and just signed uh-huh. pictures of him as Batman? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and given it to fans of the show uh-huh. for decades at this point.
2: Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And how, you know, um, and it's interesting, I've heard, um, I've heard, you know, creators kind of talk about that weight, sometimes uh, weight, as in heaviness um, of people really needing something from you, and you don't necessarily know what they need from you. Because, you know, actors are the most visible part of a franchise. But in reality, it's, Directors and writers and costumers and makeup artists and production designers and special effects artists and Foley artists, you know, who are doing everything. And I I think good actors are the most aware of how little they're bringing to something. Um, And then especially because a lot of actors you know, do their show once or do their scenes a few times and then never watch it again, whereas their fans watch it obsessively. And then, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years later, they want to know how did the Mad Bomber episode, episode end. Time and Trent's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I-, I was being prompted to deliver my lines. I hadn't actually had time to memorize the script.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and also, even the sound kind of cracked me up too because in a TV show, that sound would have been a sound effect too. Like it wouldn't even have mm-hmm. been on the set. And so like- you know, if he'd ever, I mean, if if he'd went back and, and watched it, then he would have heard the sound. But otherwise, he wouldn't even have heard the sound. But that's Do you uh,
1: have any sounds from childhood cartoons that still are evocative for you? That, like you Ooh. know what you would instantly recognize. What a great! I mean, the question. one that comes to mind is, very quickly for me is like the Transformer. The... <laughs> like, I can't do it. But you, yeah, there's there's yeah. a sound effect they use for Transformers that anytime I heard that in the wild, I would like, sure, that's a Transformer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great question. OK, so even without the context of it, I watched <laughs> He-Man. I watched I... Bear Bears. Oh, oh I, I, Jen,
0: I can answer for sure. Okay. Basically, all the sounds from the X-Men cartoon. Yeah. Like, mm. I know what Cyclops' oct- optic blast sounds like. I know what Wolverine's claws sound like, Gambit's cards, Jubilee's so, so like blast. You're, it, c- context-free, you're out shopping one day,
1: and because someone is uh, imitating the X-Men cartoon for crimes, you hear one of those sound effects, you
0: instantly would say, Cyclops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, there would be those sounds, and yeah, there definitely would be sounds from that that, that I would immediately recognize.
2: Yeah. Honestly for I don't know that's a good question. I I I'm thinking I kind of missed some of the shows you're talking about and I'm struggling to remember the sounds.
1: I mean for me the the real like magic sounds would be like the Ben burt sound effects of Star Wars, but those are so iconic oh, yes. I don't know that anyone yes. would be lost. Like like I think even people who aren't huge Star Wars fans would be like this sounds a little bit Star Warsy <laughs> over there.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. That's a good question. But that just means he's so good at his job. I mean, that's we can't we can't knock him for that. Oh, yeah. No, um, no.
1: Ben Burt was a genius.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And
1: deserves huge credit for Star Wars being palatable for viewers at all. You know, uh, like um, a lot of the magic of it is the soundscape that he created.
2: Star Trek sounds for sure. I mean oh, the transporter yeah. and, and the sound of the doors uh, opening and,
1: closing. and McCoy's uh McCoy's little salt pepper shaker that he would wave over people
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> with yes. his tri-core. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so for me it would be more next generation than, than Star Trek Classic. Oh, right. But yeah, like uh-huh. the trans so but yeah, the truthfully transporters from, from different from different series, um, doors opening and closing, the sound of the the sound of the engines, the sound of going to warp. Yeah, yeah, those sounds easily I would recognize mm. out of context.
1: Sure. That that's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Zatanna episode before we wrap up here?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, um, so like I said, I, I, it took me a long time to pick my episode, um, and and Joe had picked one that I wanted to do anyway, so I was really happy that he picked that. Um, and and I, a lot of the other sort of all time great episodes, because I was looking through IMDb, looking at kind of the the user votes to see what the sort of highest episodes were, and a lot of the there were a lot of really high ones like. Um, like the, the Harvey Dent turning into Two-Face episode, mm-hmm. and the episode with Clayface, and the episode with- I remember um, that being
1: a little traumatizing as a child, the Clayface oh. one.
2: <laughs> I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, forget forget shooting your mom and dad. Like, Clayface is traumatizing. Um, the episode with, with, with Mr. Freeze. Um, but a lot of those episodes were supervillain origin stories, and I wanted mm-hmm. a Batman-focused episode because- mm-hmm. I like episodes that are focused on the secret identity and on the real identity and on the interplay between the two. So I picked the Zatanna episode because it's about someone who actually knew him way back when and recognizes him, but not as Bruce Wayne and doesn't know anything about that life, but knows something about this sort of in between life, intermediate life. And I just thought that was really interesting in terms of like, How did he get where he is? And how is he, um, how is he, you know, how, where did he start from? And how did he kind of split into these different identities? And I also thought it was really interesting that he's, you know, he says he does what he does because of a promise. But she actually at one point says, you know, because when he's asking her, like, and at one point he even specifically says, like, so do you, like, do you have anyone to call? Do you have a husband? Like, what, like, what happened with you? Um,
1: <laughs> he's definitely fishing for information. Exactly,
2: yes, yes. <laughs> um, like, why do you care? Um, and she says, like, she's like, someone has to carry on the old act now that dad is gone. So, like, she has actually kind of made a promise in the wake of her father's dead, pre- death, presumably not like a violent death. But there's actually some very interesting parallels between them um in terms of you know she made a promise and she has a certain set of skills and she has to go through you know keeping those skills alive and doing what she does which is you know she does magic tricks which is very different from like fighting crime but they both have this very interesting intersection where they you know met once as as teenagers and then kind of meet up again and recognize each other again or at least she recognizes him um and i am always very, very interested in people who people who see beyond the secret beyond the mask and see through to the secret entity and why they do that and how they do that. Um and so I just thought it was very interesting that she's one of the few people who can, not just because she spent time with him, but because she also um picks up on things about him that other people don't and sees him in a different way that other people don't. So that's why I picked it. I just thought that was And I,
1: I do like the the neat little trick they do within the story that, okay, she recognizes that Batman is the person who trained with her father, but he was using an alias at the time. Yes. So she yes. doesn't know Batman is Bruce Wayne.
2: Yeah. <laughs> she... Well, and it's also interesting, too, because it's kind of implied that she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, that she yeah. that she cared about the person who spent time with them, but she doesn't care enough to be like... What's I've, what's under the mask? And who's under the mask? You know, presumably she knows what he looked like when he was a teenager and maybe could figure out what he looks like as an adult, but, you know, is not really that interested in that. Um, I do wonder, and you might have more of a sense than I do, how famous is Bruce Wayne? Because I feel like I don't have a good handle on that. Um, it
1: de- definitely is. Flexible and elastic yeah. according to yeah. the needs. I think now he's considered like um I mean, I, I haven't read the recent Andrew, like in Tom King's runs, how how is Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne kinda of treated in those? And that's like the most recent, like long run by one creator.
0: Um, I mean like a Rockefeller. Uh-huh.
1: Is it where it's like old name like, money, like everyone the knows the name. name.
0: Yeah. Yeah like like a Rockefeller or a Vanderbilt level because it's like okay it's money specific he doesn't do any particular celebrity stuff yeah but he's
1: not treated he? like a like, like, he's, like he's, he's he's not like a recognized Kardashian, by other no famous he, yeah or, he's
0: recognized by well, a, a other anyway. famous people he would go to big events but he wouldn't necessarily be the person photographed at big events <laughs>
2: Okay, because because in Batman the animated series sometimes he'll show up at something and they'll be like Bruce Wayne is here tonight, you know. Um, I, I, yeah, but those
0: yeah, are always like society the idea. things.
1: But but they, also they lean into the idea of him as like the most eligible bachelor bachelor of right. of Gotham. So right. all all of the young single women are interested okay. in him for for that reason. It just depends on the story. Are they are they playing that side of him up sure. or not?
2: Because like when he's standing in line to get Simon Trent's autograph, it's not implied that Simon Trent says like oh my goodness Bruce Wayne is in line mm-hmm. um, and when he's in the when he's in the audience for Zatanna's show it's not implied that 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 she recognizes you know that she's like oh my goodness Bruce Wayne is at my show um, yeah. so yeah I, I so do like I'm the saying.
1: fact that he's sitting next to Alfred at the show like right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're just having the oh, guy's not I, out
2: <laughs> and I was going to I was going to kind of mention Alfred in passing one thing that I really noticed this time around is that Alfred's kind of the only person who can tease him mm-hmm. um, because, you know, Alfred is uh, unfailingly supportive, obviously, has been with him the whole time, knows the whole thing, but also can kind of like rib him and be like, oh, yeah, you know, you are so dark and serious now and she would not have <laughs> recognized you then. And And like he needs that. He needs someone who can occasionally call him out on his crap. And Alfred is kind of the only one who can do it, or maybe at least until Robin shows up. Um, yeah, because
1: as Batman, he's always having to present almost the, uh, the infallible, uh, uh-huh. you know, front. Uh, right. And even the, if Bruce admits to himself that he's not infallible, he always has to be infallible to commissioner right. Gordon and to, right. to the criminals that he's, he's fighting. And, uh, you know, admitting it to himself only gets so far, but you need Alfred there to kind of keep pricking that. And, and as Bruce <laughs> that Wayne, he has
2: to be fallible, but in a false way. And mm-hmm. so for Alfred to, you know, to know what he's the false side that he's pretend that he's presenting, but also know anyway, but just to like tease him and be like, Hey, come on. Like, like, you are who you think you are but you're also not who you think you are <laughs> yeah
1: you know. and I, I mean and also linking in our earlier discussion for listeners about 10 episodes ago i think um <laughs> when we talked about lois and clark and that, that that series played up the idea that clark is who superman really is uh and, and superman is this like performance piece that he yeah. goes and does batman the anime series very much says batman is who this man really is and if yeah. he is out in front as Bruce Wayne he is that's where he's acting and putting on yeah. a front to the world
2: or you know Batman in the Batcave is who he is mm-hmm. you yeah. know Batman the, the,
1: with with Alfred the one person who can tease yes. him because the, that's yes. the one person who actually knows who he is
2: yes so yeah, yeah he you know pulling in all the different parts of his life trying to figure stuff out literally actually being a detective um, picking up clues you know not having to go out and be supernaturally scary but also mm-hmm. not having to go out and being this like you know goofy socialite
1: so Um, sitting in the bat cave with the cow pulled back that is the pure essence of bruce wayne slash (laughs) batman
2: gotta love that um side note i think one of the funniest lines in all of written history is the line who is stupendous man and why has he never been seen with six-year-old millionaire playboy calvin from calvin and Hobbes?" (laughs) I just love the line six-year-old millionaire playboy Calvin. <laughs> Every word in that makes me laugh because of all the media that I love.
1: <laughs> well, I think that is probably a good point for us to wrap up because we unfortunately <laughs> need to. I think we could both like all three of us could just keep going geeking out about Batman the animated series mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for for quite a while longer. But we have cleared an hour and we try to keep the episode about that long. <laughs> oh, you don't so want
2: to for like three hours.
0: Andrew do you have any final thoughts on Batman the animated series I do not in in the interest of time I will preserve further thoughts I will just say it holds up super well some parts of it are very transparent like in the Zatanna
1: episode like we all know who the bad guy is as soon as we see the character design (laughs) he walks on screen it's like oh bad guy but you also have to remember this is also a kid show even though I appreciate it as an adult (laughs) Uh, and so that's, you know, that's not a, a a flaw in it. That is part of the design and the knowledge of the producers of who this was actually being made for at the time that it was being produced. And they were not aiming for it to be the, you know, a timeless class i enjoyed by all ages. It has become that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the 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 media that you enjoyed as a child whatever you thought was whatever you think is too childish for you to enjoy now you are wrong you can still enjoy it if it's (laughs) cartoons or picture books or whatever it was um it's fine it's fine as an adult to enjoy things you liked as a kid because there are worthwhile things in there that made you who you are
1: and also, I, like, I, I know some people will frequently say, like, nostalgia is a toxic impulse. You can't go recapture the past. Enjoy something because you enjoyed it as a kid, and it reminds you of, like, the room you were sitting in when you were a child, and you were watching it. That's a valid part of your emotional reaction <laughs> to a sure. piece of art. <laughs> we don't and have to issue it just because yeah. Uh, it, it nostalgia is part of why you enjoy it.
2: Yeah. And there are things you will catch as an adult, you know, sometimes you will revisit something and it will actually be better. Or there are things you will catch about it as an adult that you did not catch as a child. So Mm -hmm. sometimes things do not age well, but sometimes they do. So don't be afraid to revisit things
1: all right well thank you listeners for downloading this episode for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank scott Talk to posting our theme music thank you again for listening we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long
2: bye-bye It's just I'm just standing at a weird angle and breathing, and I had a busy day of sitting while other people fix my computer. (laughs) (laughs) My haunted computer.
1: I mean, you you had an IT person label your computer's haunted. That I think. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: I'm like, my computer's haunted, they're like, yes, my IT person. They're like, whoa. At one point, they were actually going to like call Microsoft, but they're kind of backing down for that. Okay.